Hey guys, welcome back to the channel. I'm Mark Headley, and I'm joined here today by my lovely wife, Claire Headley. Hello, hello. Good evening. Happy New Year to everybody, since this is, I think, our first live of the new year. It's our first live together. I actually did uh, a live oh, with uh, yes. Mitch yesterday, but yes, this is the uh, first uh, Scientology Stories episode of this year. Yes. And um, if you... Uh, if you're just joining us, let us know where you're coming from. We like to uh, just kind of uh, make sure the stream is set and everything's good here. I'll uh, pull up the comments there to see if uh, it looks like we're doing pretty good. It doesn't uh, looks like they can hear us. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I can you. hear you. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Don't hear um, any buzz. No, I don't hear any buzz. I don't hear everything looks good, sounds good. Um Today, we are going to cover an escape story from the International Headquarters of Scientology in Gilman Hot Springs, California. And, um, and in order to do so, we're going to use some uh, graphic aids. But um, before we get into that, um, let's just pull up a, a few little things, uh, see where everybody's coming in from here today. We've got somebody from uh, Kelly from Toledo, Ohio. Hello. Hi, Kelly. Poodle, bon, Poodle, Poodle Bone, Bone. from <laughs> New York. Uh, oh, we got somebody from Finland. Nice. Uh, Auntie Hayu. Uh, we got uh, Kathy from Alberta, Canada. Eve Grinstead from Pittsburgh. Um, Mark's not sounding like a robot, so that's a plus. Yay. Uh, hello do. from cold Montana. <laughs> Japan of Green Gables. Hello from Gilman Hot Springs, New Brunswick, New Brunswick, Canada. Nice. Um, Always good to see Japan of Green Gables here. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got people. Oh, somebody from Chicago. Um, very good. Very good. Well, I think uh, I think we're pretty set here. I think we're good. Is there anything that you wanted to say before we get started? Well, um, no, just that... Um, we should mention that yesterday was your 19th year anniversary. Yes, 19 years ago yesterday was the day I, es I escaped from the International Headquarters of Scientology in Gilman Hot Springs. Uh, it was Ju Ju uh, January 4th, 2005. That yep. was the day yep. that I GTFO'd right on out of there. <laughs> exactly. And the rest is history. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's what that's why when we were talking, I thought, you know what? We should we should commemorate this. Yes, it's well covered in your book, but um you and I have never talked about it on any that's true. forum, actually. I don't think in I've any ever show, really... in anything we've ever done, we you and I have never had this conversation. Yeah, I think you're exactly right about that. I think I don't even think I've really explained all the different ins and outs of it, besides in the book, in my book, Blown for Good, Behind the Iron Curtain of Scientology. Um, I do tell the, the actual book starts out, starts with this and ends with this in a roundabout way. It kind of starts with the escape and then it circles back to the whole setup and the history and then it ends with the escape and then what happened after that. So, um, but um, yeah, I think we're good. Um, do you want to pull it up? You want me to pull do, do the thing here? Let's I'll see let you we've... do the driving. Okay, good. So we've got this layout here. There we go. So the uh, Gil... what's that? 
I said skadoosh. Skadoosh. <laughs> so this is the United States. This is where the international headquarters is located. You can see over there on the uh, far side where the uh, West Coast is. You can see where it says California. And then where it says Los Angeles, let me see if I can do it this way, where uh, – there you go. So the the Scientology base is about two hours outside of Los Angeles. It's east of Los Angeles, about two hours east of that. And um, let me see if this is going to work the way I planned it here. It should zoom in to the property. And um, if you hear any little clicking, that's me clicking all these little slides and everything. So, yeah, um, so there you go. So that is Gilman Hot Springs. Wherever you see green, that's essentially that is Gilman hot springs It's about 550 acres, depending on who you talk to. And, um, let's just pull up some of the main, uh, main, uh, landmarks here. You've got David Miscavige's office. There is that's, uh, what's it called? Building 50. Yep. You've got where David Miscavige, uh, where is where he lived in the lower villas and the religious technology center. Mm-hmm. Um, those two offices above that are both um, all three of those little buildings right next to each other in the middle there, where it says David Miscavige birthing uh, next to that swimming pool. That those are all religious technology center buildings, and then the office above is an RTC building, building 50. And then that big mansion in the middle of the screen there where all the grass is and everything, that's L. Ron Hubbard's mansion that they built for him uh, 20 years uh, after he was long gone. Um, you can see the hole over there, that du- that set of double uh, double wide trailers. That's where the, uh, the infamous hole was, where uh, Scientology executives were locked up by David Miscavige. Then in the middle, you can see that's the main security booth. And then, um, yeah, that's sort of uh, some of the the uh, main attractions there at the uh, at the int base. Yeah, and then Re- um, Rebecca asked if we got to do a lot of swimming and sunbathing. I think we in the there. fifteen years I was there, I think I went in that pool maybe two or three times, and one of them was when we would get thrown overboard. In the Sea Org, they have a uh, ritual called uh, overboard. If you do something you're not supposed to do, they throw you overboard. And when the Sea Organization was at sea, they would throw you over the side of the ship into the ocean. And um, so because we were no longer at sea, they would have to throw us in. Actually, let me see if I can move down a little bit. There's a lake down here. Yeah, there it is. That there lake, it is. that yep. brown, mucky, muddy, murky lake. We yeah. would get thrown. There's a, you would there. You can see there's yes. a tree in the middle of the of it, and you'd walk across this little path into that where that big tree is, and then they would just push you into the mu- muddy water of the lake. And then I think a bunch of people ended up getting sick, and so they had to go back to throwing people in at the swimming pool for a little while you get thrown in. And that's where I got thrown overboard. I don't think I, I can't remember ever being thrown overboard in the lake, but I definitely was thrown overboard at the pool because David Miscavige was the one who threw us overboard. I was, I I was thrown overboard into that lake at least two or three times. When you were in golden air productions. Yeah. Yep. Before you went to Religious Technology Center. Yep. And then you had to do the walk of shame because you weren't allowed to take any of your clothes off, your shoes off, none of that. So you would get pushed in with the the whole ritualistic statement of, I commit you to the 
to the I commit your sins to the waves. May you arise a better Thetan or some nonsense yeah, like that. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and then and then you had to walk all the way to the garage on the other side of the property to quickly dry your clothes and get back on back to work. <laughs> yes. Okay, so now because Claire was in religious technology center um there were was housing that was sort of near the base and we'll get over to there so first of all let's do another i'll show you another thing here there's a, a thing called the g units um it's not um that's not a rap uh group um it is these um these buildings down here on this side of the property i'll zoom in on them here um they're like bungalows and that's where celebrities used to stay if they came to the property. And that's where Tom Cruise used to um, stay. That's actually where Mitch Brisker used to stay, too. He lived in one of these G units, was pretty much his unit for the the entire time that I was there at the property. He just had a place where he always stayed. And it was all set up and hit. the fridge was filled with his food. And, you know, that's just where he lived when he was here. And... um and so that's the G units. And now this pretty mu much marks the very end of the property. Now, there's a, um, a tennis court here. This was uh, this was all built and made really nice for when Tom Cruise was going to stay here. This was is when all these were renovated and made very nice. And yeah. this is actually this field. There was a rose garden right here next to the in between the tennis court and the G units. But there's this big wide open field right here. I don't know if you can see my mouse moving around, but in this yeah, area right it. here, um, this is this field that was planted with a bunch of flowers that was somehow that was made into we were going to plant these flowers for Tom and Nicole to run through when they came to the property. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, so, yes, this is where this was all planted. This used to all just be dirt. But so now where we stayed, there's actually another place. And it was called Cinetown. And Cinetown was on the the east side of the highway. And it was just called that because that's where a lot of people, these were all pretty much abandoned uh, houses that um, Scientology purchased, but nobody lived in them until a bunch of the people in the cinematography division just started moving into them and fixing them up and getting the power turned on and uh, and just started fixing them up. And a bunch of people lived there. But then right across from that was what was called Sublet Road. And Sublet Road was where all of the religious technology staff stayed. So you can see there's this road. If you go, if we go back over here, there's the property again. There's the, the G unit, the G units. And then there's Cinetown. And then here's Sublet Road across the entire screen. Now, all of the houses along here um, started out just properties that were just owned by people that didn't have anything to do with Scientology. And over the 15 years that we were there, they eventually bought every single house along this road. And, um, and then that's where um, people that worked in religious technology center and some people that worked in international management lived in these houses. And right in the middle, right where next where it says sublet road, there's a blue house that was Danny Sherman, the L. Ron Hubbard biographer, he lived in that house, and that was called the Writer House. Yep, that's right. And, With um, the bright blue roof. Yes, and if you go down the, the uh, street a little bit, you can see this one here, and um, that 
is the Headley birthing. And that's where we lived. And Along then, with a bunch of other staff. It wasn't, we just had one room in that house, but yeah. That's right. There was, I think that I want to say there was three or four bedrooms. And um, right next to us what lived a guy named Rick, Rick Cruzen. And this will be, this is a key point that's going to come up later. But mm-hmm. so you got the Headley, that's where we lived in this house right here. And then, um, and then Rick Cruzen, and actually my sister lived in that house too. My, my sister hmm. um, also lived in the same house as this Rick Cruzen guy. And I think, again, that was like a three or four bedroom house as well. And um, so couples would stay in there. And some of, if they had um, some of these houses, if it was all females, then that was like an RTC female house where just females lived. And there might be six or eight girls living in a three to four bedroom house. Yeah, not Females. not that anyone spent much time at any of these. Yes, <laughs> exactly. We weren't we weren't hanging out like, there. It was me. Like your it's sister, a place to sleep. Yeah, your sister was our next door neighbor. I I actually didn't even know that until you just said that just now. I didn't know that your <laughs> sister lived next door to us. You know what's so funny that, about that? Yeah. I've never been in that house. We yeah, lived me next there for years. I've no. never, ever been into that house. I never saw my sister at that house. I never went and visited her at that house. Ever. Right. There wasn't a whole lot lot of visiting, visiting going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so. Oh, my gosh, that's funny. Uh, I guess. Lo- Love Food Kitchen said, was Rick cruising for a bruising? He yes, was definitely. He, was. <laughs> he cruised for many bruisings. <laughs> yeah. The, the reason this is important is because Rick Cruzen had a, had tried to escape from the Sea Org. I, uh, f- there was at least four or five times that I was aware of that yep. he tried to escape. He may have tried other times, but there was four to- four to five times that I personally knew of where he either was trying to escape and he got caught or he did escape and then he was caught and he was brought back. And when somebody leaves, they do what's – when someone escapes from the international headquarters and they find out about it, they do what's called a blow drill where they they activate a whole team of a peop- of people it could be anywhere anywhere from 50 to 100 people that are part of the blow drill and these people are sent to find out where they went or call their relatives or contact the airlines or check the local bus stations and call the taxi cab companies all these things to try to figure out where this person went and how they got there so my plan th- this was this plan st- for took shape on January the night of January 3rd um I tried to get a hold of Claire I got home that night I was told the next day I was going to go to the rehabilitation project force that's all you need to know if you want to know the rest of the story you can read it in the book cuz yeah. it's cuz that story t- will take as long as the escape story so you you were going to fast forward to the time right when I'm going to escape attempt to escape uh, at the first part of this yeah. so um i called claire that night before i, I want to say it was probably around 1 or 2 a.m and i called you on you had a nextel phone so i could chirp it was like a radio radio go, chirp, chirp. yeah um i chirped you and said hey um you going to come home anytime soon you said I, you were going to try i said hey i really need to talk to you when you get home and you were sort of non-committal i'm going to try but it's not looking good Right, exactly. And and I hadn't seen you, I think at that point since before since the New Year's event, which Exactly. It'd been a few we days. Had, we had gone to LA to the Shrine Auditorium at 
towards the end of December. So now yeah. this was January 4th. Yeah. Um, I remember you had tried to get me to go for um, uh, to Denny's in the middle of the night for my birthday, for birthday. a couple of days yes. before, <laughs> and I couldn't go. How sad is that? Um, yeah, you but yeah, couldn't so... go to Denny's at 3 a.m. on your birthday <laughs> to go yeah. get a yeah. But I hadn't seen you. I hadn't been home. Yeah. And I, I, and I, as I remember, I was like, well, I'm going to see if I can at least come home and take a shower, which never happened. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So you didn't come home and I had a, I basically was this, I had already decided I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm going to leave in the morning on my bike. And if Claire comes home, then I'm going to tell her about this plan. And if she doesn't, then there's not, I can't really tell her because then she'll wrap me out and then I won't make it and, you know, whatever. So, yeah. And, and just as a comment in the context of this story, I think we should note, well, let me ask you this, honey. How many times did we talk about, you and I talk about getting the heck out of there before you escaped? Never once. Yeah, exactly. Never once. We'd been married 13 years. Yeah. Never once did we ever discuss it because it was forbidden to do so. Well, Just also, in the context of this, I thought it would be good sure. to kind of Yeah, we didn't that. discuss it and for good reason. So cuz that could foil all it, all successful attempts if we if either yeah. one of us ratted the other one out. So. Yes. Okay. So I've decided I'm going to go. Now, the only thing I have to do, remember the... Oh, you got audio BTs coming. You can hear me? Yep. Oh, I don't hear anything. I definitely hear it. We'll see if the audience hears it in just yeah. a moment. Can you hear me now? Oh, that's much better. Now it's fixed. Okay. Can you hear me? You good? Everything good? Yep, everything's awesome. good. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, remember when we went back... Let's go back over here for a second. So remember, you got this main booth here. So these guys, there's a security guard that's in this booth, and then there's a rover. And the rover is either um, in the on a motorcycle that drives around the base, or it's in the security SUV. Okay, so when I am going to leave um, from the birthing down here, um, all I have to do is make sure that I don't end up seeing um, that security SUV that's going to be here. And so my path, my planned escape path was this, and this is a good, I'll show you a view of this. There we go. So you can see where we live. Now this yellow line gets me all the way up into Hemet here. Okay. And that's where I was trying to go. And I really didn't even know where in Hemet I was going to go. I was just going to drive to Hemet and then try to figure it out from there. So let's just see how far I got before they uh, came. Um, So here I am at the birthing. And now this is how far I got before they saw me. And um, Wait, where where did you? Oh, yeah, there there you go. (laughs) Why did they? Why did did they see me? Well, right where that red little thing, there was the remember I told you about the security SUV rover. It was parked. In front of Rick Cruzen's house, because he had tried to escape so many times that they thought he was going to escape the same night that I was planning to escape. So (laughs) as soon as I drove my motorcycle through, literally opened the garage, drove out onto the road. And when I looked both ways to, to get onto the road, 
the security SUV was literally parked right there. That's, so it's sad. It's sad when you look at that little red line. Like, yeah, that's, that's how, how far. far you got <laughs> without you guys, being detected. If you guys watched the last video where we showed you how we broke somebody out and we we moved the rover down here so we could break in over here, that was a result of this. Okay, I knew <laughs> that it wouldn't go well unless we planned it a little bit better. Yep. Anyway, so they. They pretty much caught me right off the bat and they were chasing me and they were literally just driving right behind me as I drove down this road. And then um, I'll show you um, the path that I made. Um, and you can see and, here. We, yeah, sorry. I just remembered one other thing too. Yeah. So you didn't get very far, but I think we should bring up the fact that security had cameras on the top of all those houses. So it's not like you were going to get much further, even That's if Rick hadn't been planned, hadn't been under watch that morning. You just had really unfortunate luck on timing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so you can see that this is where there's a there's a bridge right here in this area right here. Um, there's where the, the yellow is kind of broken up. There's a bridge there. And so they were following me all along a, this yellow line. And then right after the bridge, the road kind of ends. And I'll show you, um, if you look this way, um, that's how far I got. And then this is where I crashed. And the reason I crashed is because if you go here on the road, so this shoulder sort of dead ends right where that uh, icon is that red icon is. And so I was kind of driving on the side and they were driving in the main road right next to me. And as the shoulder ended, they didn't move over. They just kind of kept edging me off the side of the road. And then I just crashed. There's a fence there and I just crashed into the fence. And, um, and then that, that was it. So we, the security guard that was there is he's a guy by the name of, uh, Danny Dunnigan. And uh, his nickname is Danny Dunnett again, because he's yep. always getting into trouble um, as a security guard. He's causing trouble. And um, and so he jumped out of the SUV as soon as the bike crashed. He ran over to my bike and he took the key so then I couldn't do anything. The bike was also a little messed up. The My clutch lever snapped off and it was it was not doing well, but he took the keys, so I wouldn't have been able to do anything. Did your and suitcase fall off as well? Didn't you have a little suitcase on the back of the bike? I did. I had like a, <laughs> like a, I don't even remember. It was like the smallest little suitcase that would even fit on the back of that motorcycle. Right. And I had just thrown whatever clothes, like I, I, my plan was to go to Kansas city. Um, and in Kansas City, they had, were having a blizzard during this time. So I was like, I should probably bring some pants and a jacket. And I think that's some long sleeve stuff and whatever I could fit in a tiny, this tiny little suitcase we had was in there. And, um, and so that flew off. It was just a big mess on the side of the road. But I was trying to get the key back from Danny. And when we were in the middle, the, S, the security SUV was essentially parked in the middle of the road because I was in the side of the road where there was like a foot of shoulder. And then the black Nissan Pathfinder SUV was in the street. And we were fighting over the keys. Like I was saying, hey, give me my keys. And he was like, no, no, you got to come back. Okay. Somebody driving by saw that. And called the police. Mm -hmm. I did not know this at the time, but that is when it happened. Okay, so then um, they have a police scanner 
in that SUV and they heard the call. There's uh, altercation on the road, in the road, on this road, a black SUV motorcycle. Danny throws the key to me and jumps in the SUV and they hightail it back to the base. Yeah. Okay. So I get the key. I put it in. I get my suitcase. I get um, the suitcase. I get that somehow secured to this. I have a, like a little, a little uh, rear, little baby, little rack. I get that um, suitcase on, and now the bike won't start. It has an electric starter. It will not start. It's flooded, or so I'm trying to push it and trying to get it. Oh, and then I realize, oh, the clutch cable, the clutch is broken. So I have to somehow jerry-rig it so I can get it into the right gear. And then somehow I get the bike going. That takes me probably five minutes at least. And at, right as I get the bike going, I find out I can only go five miles an hour. If I, if I go any faster than that, it just dies. Uh-huh. And what was the speed it was ca- capable of before that? I could probably get up, you know, maybe 65 or 70. If I like really leaned into it and was going down a hill, I could get yeah. 70 on one. Yeah, because it was a Yamaha TW200, right? Yamaha TW200, that's right. Yep. Okay, so let's just see where I get here. Let me see if I can, I got to hide all these other icons. Otherwise, they'll bug us later. Um. Okay, so... Where is it here? Here it is. Poof. Okay, so I drive. This is this is how far I got on the drive. <laughs> I got that far. That's how far I got before <laughs> the police pull me over. Yeah. So at this, oh, and, and let's not forget, um, this was January and it was raining. Yes. Add insult to injury, right? Yes. So the police are driving down this road here, going down the road. And and they see me and they just flip a U turn and and then they're behind me and I'm thinking oh great it's not like I'm gonna we're gonna have a high speed chase because I can only go five miles an hour <laughs> so, they could literally pull me over and still have the conversation and I wouldn't even have to stop the motorcycle yep. that's how slow I was going so I just pull over right but right next this actually was something else i think there was like a, just a field here with some little huts before this was all cleared but um this is right around i remember it was right before the college there's a college um that's right across the street here on the left right the san yes. jacinto college yeah so i remember when the police came it was right around the college and then i had pulled over like right after that it was i mean it was right in here somewhere yeah um, so so how, how far do you think this is from sublet road like a mile two miles oh I'll, I'll just zoom back out to it you can see right here you can see <laughs> this is a sad state of affairs when uh there's all this has happened and yeah, you're there not it is even... right there there's our birthing right there. <laughs> <laughs> i mean but the uh. and the crazy thing is that they're at the base, so they drove back here and they heard all this, and so we get back over to the um, to over to here where the encounter took place, and uh, and the police officer says, "Hey, um, how's it going?" And I'm just like, "It's great, everything's good, perfect," you know. And he's like, "We got a call about an altercation on the road back there at, with a vehicle matching your description." And I was like, yeah, my friends were there. I, I, I was some of the guys that I work with were just asking me some stuff. I'm going to see my dad 
in Kansas and, uh, you know, trying to figure that out. And that they yeah, because that's totally normal to have coworkers run you off the road when they have a, sh- a quick question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong there. Yeah. Wink, wink, Nothing. nudge, nudge. Nothing oh, my fuzzy. Gosh. Anyway, so, um, and, uh, He's, he's basically trying to get like, hey, what's going on? And I'm just like, no, everything's good because I don't want – I don't want to cause any trouble so that I'm then in even more trouble than I'm already in because I know yeah. they're going to um, – they're going to hunt me down and I don't want to – I don't want to rat them out just yet uh, in, in hopes that I'm going to get out of here. Yep. Okay, and so – Not to mention I was still at that property. That's right. During all of this. <laughs> And so the cop says, "Hey, listen, um, you're you're you got mud all over you, and you're you know the bike's a little messed up." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, um, I've I've got it though." And um, and then right, I think right about this point, a car pulls up next to us, and it's a woman from the Int base. Um, from from the Sea Org, and her name is Muriel Dufresne. And Muriel, excuse me, Muriel rolls up and she goes, what's wrong with Mark? <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, here we go. And, That's out um, of the bag now. <laughs> and, the cop, and the cop recognizes her as working at Golden Era Productions. He knows who she is because she is the one who goes and gives the the gift at the end of the year to the police league's uh, fundraiser and they have events for the police at the Golden Era Productions golf course and all this stuff. So she the the people in the town know who she is. Mhm. Yep. Anyway, so he recognizes her. He already knows from the address on my driver's license that that's where I'm coming from. And then, um, and he just tells her, Hey, listen, uh, no, ma'am, everything's fine. We're in the middle of a, uh, a traffic stop. Uh, please move along. And, um, and then, so she drives away and then he turns back to me and he goes, where are you trying to get to? And I realize they're trying to help me at this point. Yep. So I go, I'm trying to get to the U-Haul in town. He goes, okay. We'll get you there. So at this point, I know that he knows I'm trying to escape. And um, and he's just trying to tell me he'll help me if I tell him where I'm trying to go. So he says, okay, um, we're going to get you there. You stay here right now because evidently there's some people trying to get you. He says, "We. it's very evident to us that they're trying to get you, to, re- to, to reconnect with you and not let you go to where you're trying to go. So he says, I'm going to have another car come. So we can go in front of you and be and behind you and and escort you there to to the U-Haul. So I was like, okay. Um, And at this point, there's also a question of because I know that the the security guards are buddy buddy with the police. Yeah. Well, these guys are not Hemet police or San Jacinto police. They're Riverside County sheriffs. So mm-hmm. they're actually part of Riverside County. And so I don't know where they land in the friendliness in, in relation to the security people at the Int base. So I'm just hoping that they're not going to double cross me and then the security guys aren't going to be there at the U-Haul when I get there. Or that right. they're going to tell them I'm at the U-Haul. <clears throat> but regardless, um, we're going together and 
at some point, um, we're, as we're driving, um, they pull over another car and the, I can see the cop, um, in front of me is talking to the one in back of me and he's motioning and he's telling, he's like going like this or tell, he's making signals to the guy behind him. And I'm assuming they're on the radio. I don't know. But regardless, the car behind me pulls over a car and I can see that it's Bruce Wagner and okay. Bruce Wagner worked with Muriel in the, in the port captain division. And he was the legal uh, director and she was the port captain, which is it's a Sea Org term they use wherever, whatever Sea Org installation wherever it is, that's the port they're in, and the person that's supposed to interface with the local port is the port captain, as if they were in uh, a uh, when they went at sea when they went to a specific harbor or port, that's the person that would deal with the locals in that port. Yeah, so they were the, pretty much the. Two of a handful of staff that had any interaction with the local people in Hemet and Gilman Hot Springs. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the police pull over Bruce Wagner. Now, as we keep going forward, we're going and and we're trying to get to this. We're trying to get to this U-Haul, and then they end up pulling over Muriel, and they pull her over at this spot. And so they've already pulled over Bruce and told him, don't follow anymore. And now as we're driving forward, then they pull over Muriel and they say, hey, you guys can't follow us. You can't. You, this is you're not involved in this. You cannot be part of this. Yep. And I think at this point they tell them, if you continue to follow, you're going to get a, you're going to we're going to have to pull. We're going to have to arrest you. And so I don't see any more after that. And then so we get all the way. Um, to wherever the U-Haul is here. And you can see um, the U-Haul is uh, is all the way up here. And that compared, I mean, that's where I had to get from to get to there. Yeah. Um, that's all the nonsense <laughs> that, that I encountered. To, just to add a, add a comment, obviously I'm covering my end of what happened after you escaped. But originally I was woken up I was dozing on my desk. It was around 11.30 that day. And originally they were like, go get him back. You're, we're taking, like security was going to bring me to you because you were still super close to bring you back. And then within 10 minutes, I was told by um, Danny Dunnigan and Sue Wilhair, no, Mark called the police. He's gone to the dark side. He's an enemy now. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, if we want, let me just see if I can put this up. Can you, you have a copy of this you could read, yep. right? <clears throat> yep. So. Yeah. This is the police. We actually have the police report. After I escaped, there was a guy named um, Anon Orange. And he was a protester in um, California that would go to the Int base and he would protest um, for, as a member of Anonymous. And he called me and told me, or he called, he might have called, I don't remember if it was through Jeffrey Augustine or somebody he contacted me through and said, hey, there's a police report of the day you escaped, but I can't get it. Only anyone who is related in the report or named in the report can get a copy of it. Yeah, and, and this so was this was four or five years after you'd escaped. 
Like, yeah. had it not been for Anonymous, we never would have known even of the existence of this report, which is amazing. And you yeah. had actually already written your book when we That's got right. a copy of it. We included <laughs> this when we re printed or when we printed the paperback yeah i think yeah, we right. um we first we came out with the hardback of my book and when we came out with the paperback we actually included the police reports there's two officers remember i said there was one in front of me and there was one behind me yeah <clears throat> excuse me so this is the report of one of those um deputies um and if you want to read it and then yeah. if you if we have if if you want to stop and we can make comments in between Perfect. And first of all, I, I just want to note that on the front front page of the incident report, the crime that's reported is false imprisonment. Obviously, you didn't press charges. You were just trying to get the heck out of there. It's just revelatory that the Riverside County Sheriff's Office absolutely knew what was going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on Tuesday, January 4th, 2005, at about 11.24 hours, uh, is that Corporal? Corporal Williams was dispatched to a battery occurring at the intersection of State Street and Saboba Road in the un unincorporated area of San Jacinto. Per the call, a passerby reported that four by four truck and a motorcycle were stopped in the intersection and several males were fighting. Corporal Williams had an extended drive from another area and requested myself and Deputy Clark respond to the scene to assist. As I was driving north on State Street at the intersection of Sagecrest, I saw a multicolored motorcycle driven by a white male adult wearing a blue helmet traveling slowly southbound. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. <laughs> I advised Deputy Clark of the motorcycle so he could stop him, and I continued toward the scene to see if any other subjects were still there. As I approached the intersection, I saw a black SUV occupied by at least four white male adults wearing Golden Era security uniforms. The vehicle did a U-turn in the intersection and headed west toward the Golden Era property. Oh, so they actually saw them when yep. they... So I didn't realize that's how fast it was. So they yep. were coming and they saw them take off and then they let me drive and mm -hmm. then got me so they yep. were kind of casing it before they uh before they got there or they just saw the tail end of what was going on yeah and and plus they already had the report from the the person that called it in so they knew you know yeah, they, had a, they had a heads yeah. up on the way there yeah exactly okay so the vehicle did a u-turn okay it was at that moment when deputy clark stated the subject on the motorcycle was trying to get away from golden era I responded to Deputy Clark's traffic stop at the intersection of State Street and Ramona Expressway. I briefly spoke to Deputy Clark, who asked me to run a computer check on the driver of the motorcycle, Mark Headley. I then noticed a vehicle pulling up behind our patrol units. I contacted the driver, who identified herself as Muriel. Yeah. I recognized Muriel as an employee of Golden Era. Again, there's no other employees they would recognize. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Muriel asked if we had stopped Mr. Headley for not wearing a helmet. And I told her no. She then asked why we had stopped him. It's called Nanya, honey. Move along. <laughs> Because she was concerned. I explained to Muriel that he was trying to leave Golden Era, and some of the Golden Era security guards were attempting to stop him with force. 
Muriel denied that occurred. Now, how would you know, Muriel? Are you reading a different one than I thought? Oh, here we go. We're good. No, you're good. You're reading the right one. I just fast forwarded to the second one. Yeah. Just saying, how would Muriel know? She was not there when when they ran you off the road. Muriel denied that occurred and stated everyone was free to leave the property. (laughs) Muriel then asked if Headley had told Deputy Clark and I he wasn't free to leave. Oops, that was a faux pas, Muriel. Yeah. You just said everyone's free to leave, and now you're asking if Mark said he wasn't free to leave. Anyway, whatever. Okay, I'll keep reading. Are you on the first page or the second page? I'm on the first page. Okay, good. Well, yeah. It's okay. Yeah, I'm on line, like, 26. Perfect. Okay, good. Okay. I advised her a passerby had called the police after witnessing the incident and after speaking to Hedley. He corroborated what the witness saw. Muriel then got back into her vehicle and drove away. Deputy Clark informed me that he would escort Headley to the U-Haul business in the city of Hemet. He had asked to go to. A short time later, Deputy Clark informed me a small vehicle was following his patrol unit and he was concerned for his and Headley's safety. That is, that's crazy to me. I mean, you know. (laughs) Well, that yeah. they think something's going to happen. That guy's yeah. going to run us off the road or try to, well, tr- yeah, try to get to Well, yeah, now they've already seen the SUV that had at least four males in it. Now there, and now there, and then there was Muriel and now there's another vehicle. So I can, comp- that was a well-founded concern just says a lot about the alleged PR area control that Muriel and Bruce had or had not established with the Riverside County Sheriff's office. Yeah. Um, I drove to the area the vehicle was last seen and located located it parked in the driveway of Americana Mobile Home Park on State Street north of Fruitvale. I contacted the driver who identified himself as Bruce Wagner with his California driver's license. I also recognized Bruce as an employee of Golden Era. I asked Bruce why he was following a deputy while he was in the por- performance of his duties. Bruce explained he was concerned for Headley because he left Golden Era on a motorcycle. (laughs) I explained to Bruce he was coming extremely close to violating Section 148 of the Penal Code, obstructing, delaying, or resisting a peace officer in the performance of his duties. Bruce stated he did not want to do that. He again was just concerned for Headley. Bruce then asked me to tell him exactly what Headley had told me and Deputy Clark. I told Bruce, the conversation we had with Headley is none of his concern. However, if Headley wanted to tell him at a later time, he was free to do so. I told Bruce Headley was currently with the company of a deputy sheriff and was fine. Bruce agreed and suggested he drive the opposite direction so as to not cause any more trouble. I advised Bruce that would be a great idea. I drove to the intersection of Fruitvale and State and watched traffic for any more Golden Era employees following Deputy Clark and Headley. A short time later, Deputy Clark advised he had finished escorting Headley and was leaving. I cleared the area and continued my patrol duties. Refer to Deputy Clark's initial report for Headley's statement. This case will remain unfounded. Okay, good. And then I'm going to just go to the next one and let you read that one. Okay. Okay, so this is page two. Yeah. The, where it says details. On yes. Tuesday, January yeah. 4th, 2005. I'll be right back. 
Okay, at about 11.25 hours, I was working as a uniformed patrol deputy sheriff driving a marked black and white police unit assigned to the Traffic Services Division in the contract city of San Jacinto. At that time, I responded to the area of State Street at Saboba Road, reference a battery in progress. A passerby reported a 4x4 truck and a motorcycle were stopped in the intersection and several males were fighting. While en en route to the area, Deputy Linton advised seeing a motorcycle traveling southbound on State Street, leaving the area. I located the motorcycle. Oh, that's appropriate. California license. Mark 101. I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Reference to Pesh Mode to anyone who's curious. Near State Street at Ramona Expressway. I contacted the driver identified by his valid... CDL as Mark Morgan Headley. I told Headley why I stopped him. Headley told me the following. Headley lives at Golden Era Productions on Gilman Springs and is leaving the property to visit his sick father in the hospital. Headley said several security personnel from Golden Era Productions were trying to, quote, persuade, unquote, him (laughs) from leaving. Headley said, yeah, persuade defined as run him off the road. Uh, Different definition of persuade there than The real world has it. Headley said he was not injured and was trying to get to the U-Haul business on State Street in Hemet. Headley said he was concerned for his safety and asked if I would make sure he made it to the U-Haul business. Fair request. Thank you, Riverside County Sheriff's Office. I radioed dispatch and followed Headley southbound on State Street. While following Headley, I noticed a Honda Civic following very slowly directly behind my patrol unit i noticed there was a male occupant driving this honda and he was talking on a cellular telephone the entire time he was following me i radioed deputy linton and asked him to stop the honda i continued uh southbound on state and arrived at the u-haul 380 state street hemet with headley at about 1200 hours headley said he was not injured and did not want to make a report reference the incident this case will be closed unfounded and by the way, we should note that the officer, the commanding officer or whatever the, the position is called that was yeah. in charge of these officers that day saw that Mark was married to me and therefore adamantly insisted that this report be created because of me, which was amazing to me. Yeah. There's yeah. the U-Haul right there, too. You can see the... Uh... I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yeah, you can see on the trucks in the back there. Um, There it is. That's the U-Haul. So, yeah, they Oh, and and by the way, someone's asking, did did you ever thank those sheriffs? They did an amazing job. We never got to thank them personally, but I absolutely thanked Riverside County Sheriff's Office personally as a whole in person and told them I would not be there that day were it not for them. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, the um right here, if you can see my mouse there. Yep. Um that's where they they were parked and while I was inside. So so when we got to the U-Haul, um I I I it was a Yamaha TW uh 200 that was now had no clutch <laughs> and the carburetor I think <laughs> was I think the carburetor was flooded when the bike fell over it got flooded or something was messed up with the carburetor um but um and i was like oh i'm good and they were like let's get you let's get a truck 
let's get your bike in the truck and then let's get you driving away in the truck before we leave. So they, they were just, they waited there. Um, and then because the bike was broken, my plan to, to drive all the way to Kansas on the TW 200 dual sport, it's like a, it's like a, a, it's called a dual sport. You can drive it off road, but it's also street legal. So it has turn signals and headlights and a taillight and mirrors. And, and, your, um, and yours even had a license plate. Which and mine was mine, registered mine and I had insurance. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Claire had the exact same type of bike. Just different um, colors. If you're an executive at the international headquarters, you have to walk all over the property and it's 500 acres. It would it would be like working at Disneyland and having to walk all over the park and doing that by on foot al- alone. You would not get any work done. You'd just be walking all day. So... Um, the people that had to, to get around the property all over had motorcycles and my yeah. motorcycle was registered and street legal and had insurance that I paid like, you know, $75 a year for. And, um, and so I could drive it on the regular roads and on the highway if I needed to. And, um, and so, um, they said, basically get yourself a truck. So then I thought, okay. Um, I called my dad and I said, Hey dad, I'm in, um, I'm leaving and I wanted to come stay with you if that was okay. And he was like, absolutely. Um, and didn't you call the 800 number that he had set up for you? He had set up a 1-800 number for my sister and I, so that if we ever needed to leave or if we ever needed to get a hold of him, that we could do it without having to pay to call him so I could just dial this number that he would tell me and write to me. You can always call, you can always write. And, um, so I, sure enough, maintained that until the day he passed. Yeah. 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 For my sister. Yeah. Um, and so, um, he said, yeah. And I said, well, I was going to drive my motorcycle, but it's broken now. So I can't do that. And, and, he said, I said, I'm at a U-Haul place. I can get a truck, but I need to somehow get to you. So he had a friend that lived in Los Angeles that he said I could put my bike with. And and then she would give me a ride to the airport. And then I would fly out to Kansas. Um, and so we went. So I had to go from here we are in um, San Jacinto all the way in this U-Haul, I had to get to the San Fernando Valley. I think she lived off of Ventura. And then there was a U-Haul place, uh, return place in Calabasas, I think. or uh, Oh, no, it was in, um, uh, what's it, Aurora? What's it called? Agora, Agora Hills. Agora Hills, yeah. And then... Um, and then, so I put the bike at her apartment. She drove me, she drove to the U-Haul. I drove the U-Haul to the U-Haul. And then she picked me up and took me to the airport, which uh, I went, I ended up going out of uh, Los Angeles International, LAX. And when I got there, my flight got canceled because of the of the snowstorm in Kansas. And so I think I ended up staying at the at a hotel right next to the airport that night. And then I got on a plane um, the next morning or something like that. And the whole time between leaving and getting on the plane, like even when I was at the hotel, I was like looking around to see if there was anybody. And if there was, and because my dad, I think my dad 
booked the hotel. I don't remember. I don't remember the hotel. I think he might have booked the hotel or I might have even just booked it with cash because I had um, ga- gathered up enough money to leave like a few hundred dollars. From my purse? Um, You're from welcome, Cla- honey. From Claire's purse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to go see her. When I went to go see her originally, I was like, hey, um, is Claire around? And they were like, no, she's uh, she's in an interview with somebody. I was like, can I go to her office and just grab something from her purse? And they were like, sure. And they just let me in her office. I went in there. I was like, oh, she's got about uh, 200 bucks. I think that'll, that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and so, yeah, so that is, uh, that's it. I, I got on the plane the next morning and then um, I ended up meeting up with my dad at the airport and then he lived in he actually lived in Lee Summit, Missouri at that time. Yeah. And um and the, so that is ended that and that is where I ended up living for um the next two weeks until we busted Claire out. And um and hers was I we did we we did a we did a video where we talked about your escape, right? Um know we'll have to check that i don't think so i thought we did i know you've told the story i just don't know yeah but um i have and now i'm filling in all the the backstory in in the process of writing my book yeah um, which has been interesting yeah anyway (laughs) um do we should we do a q a should we do uh answer some questions if people want some questions i saw close all these um, windows i've got here yeah good idea i saw that uh Jackson, Gary Moorhead was in the house. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still here. But one time, we should definitely do one where we talk about breakdown with Jackson, the nitty gritty of what what is the blow drill step by step, I think. I think that would be fascinating because it's it's insane. And yeah, I... Uh, Catherine Olson just commented, Claire should tell the story again. And I am coming up on my... 19th anniversary yeah well if we haven't done yeah yeah, if we haven't done a video we should just do a specific video talking about that we We could do it with the graphics and all that stuff too yes and the the, Um, uh, riverside count riverside bus station and the um what was the other one beaumont was it beaumont yep yeah beaumont bus station yeah. The Vegas bus station. Yeah, we can do. We'll do that when how this, far they we'll freaking tracked me video. across state lines. Yes, Claire wants that. to okay. do it all in this video right no, no. now. <laughs> no, I just had all the visuals popping into my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, that would be epic. <laughs> um, okay. KM Cheesehead says, uh, "You read. You read the comments. I'll put yes. them up. You can." How read. How was Serge's visit? Was Christmas amazing? Serge's visit was so awesome. Um, I talked to Serge today and he was like, I hope I wasn't too much of a burden. I'm like, well, Serge, I hope you ha- you were not a burden one bit. Yeah. We loved having you. I hope you had the most amazing Christmas. He was like, I did. That the was Serge we're talking first... about is Serge, yes, Serge Obolinsky. Obolinsky. That yes. we, the one that we, um, he was in the, uh, we did a video, a documentary on him. Um, it's just called The Story of Serge Obolinsky. If you guys haven't seen it, uh, we'll put a link in the description, but it's on the channel. 
and um, and Serge uh, lives in Los Angeles, but he didn't really have a, anyone he was going to be able to spend Christmas with. So um, we flew him out here to Colorado, and he stayed with us for the week of Christmas. Yes. And we did all kinds of adventures. Maybe I think we're going to do a um, we'll do we're going to do a live next week. Um, and when we do that, we're going to do a recap of um, the podcast uh, stats and how well the Blow for Good podcast is doing. And we'll cover the YouTube channel statistics and all that stuff. Um, and we'll we'll put together a little bit of slides. I think we've got a few pictures we can show of some of the things we did. We'll we'll put those up and we'll show you. We guys. have ton- tons of photos. And Serge said. It was his best Christmas and his first ever white Christmas as well because it snowed while he was here. So he had a really, really good time. Uh, Went to his first Broncos game. Yeah, we'll show a bunch of pictures. You guys are going to love that. Okay. Jorge Vila in the house. Danny Dunnigan's call handle was, Dad, what an asshole. (laughs) 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 Yeah, because he... Among many other things, he definitely is not a dad. What the heck? That's just wrong. Oh, look, we got Denver Stevo. Denver Stevo in the house. Happy New Year, Denver Stevo. Good to see you here. Uh, Cassie Isaac. Casey, just saying thank you for continuing to do the hard work of exposing Scientology. You could have just gone to live a quiet, lovely life, but you've chosen to speak up and fight. Your work matters. Your story matters. Thank you so, so much. Thank you very and much, Cassie. Yes, it's absolutely our passion to continue exposing Scientology and helping people get out. What better way to live out the rest of our days than to do something we're very well equipped to do and also hold out hope that one of these days we will regain the many family members Mark and I have both lost to this evil cult. Yeah. Freeze you new project of Farsec. Comment. That was really your license plate number, Mark? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> it was Mark 101. That's a yep. Depeche Mode reference. Um, I actually, I think I might even still have that license plate. And I do have, I I sold the bike that I did escape on, that TW200. It was a 1995. Each, each, each model year of this motorcycle, they changed the color scheme and the decals and all that sort of thing. So if you have one, um, anybody who's familiar with the bikes, they can tell exactly what year it is just by the colors of it. Yep. Um, so I had a 1995 and I, when I, after we escaped and we moved back to Los Angeles, I ended up selling the motorcycle to Universal Studios to shoot the movie, The Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. And they actually completely um, took the bike apart and painted it and did all this other stuff. Um, not realizing that they were renting the motorcycle from me. (laughs) So I had rented it to them for some insane amount per month for so many months so they could use it. And then they were going to give it back. And then after so many months, we were like, hey, what happened to the bike? Um, And then they said, oh, we ended up uh, destroying it in the shooting. And so we're going to buy it from you. (laughs) And I don't remember what they paid, but it was many, many, many times over what I had originally purchased the motorcycle for. Um, But then um, I was very sad that I didn't have it anymore. And so after we moved to Colorado, I found the exact same year bike 
that had very little miles on it. And so I have essentially, I have the exact same bike again. Um, and it's parked right on the side of my house. And, uh, and I go riding with it. Uh, all of the boys have been on it and we go for like Sunday rides, uh, in the uh, nice weather. Yep. So that answers all of the motorcycle questions. Uh, yes. For there all we go. Of those. Thank you. Freedom 35, Pedrick. Peter Anderson, question, off-road knobby tires or street tires? It had knobby tires that were uh, street-worthy as well. Yep. A lot of motorcycle uh, stickets. Yeah. Uh, uh, stickers are uh, questions. Well, this is a motorcycle-themed story, after yeah. all. Office of Spoofed Affairs. Thank you so much for the super sticker. We appreciate it, and I love the name. Yeah, I think he <laughs> might have messed up because that's another one at a totally wow. different time. Okay. Thank you, Office of yes. Spoofed Affairs. That's a very yes, generous thank of you, you very tonight. Much. Bruce Nielsen, did Scientology bulldoze your house and all the houses around in Gilman Hot Springs? I yes, they so. did. There's yeah. none there anymore. If you go on Google Earth or Google Maps or whatever it is and go to Gilman Hot Springs and look along the golf course, there's nothing there anymore. They bulldozed all of those houses. They bulldozed that whole Cine town area. And they also bulldozed the older um, houses on the property, such as the old Gilman house and the maintenance man house and the M&M house and whatever other um, of these really, really old structures that were there from the original Gilman Hot Springs resort. Um, they did bulldoze all those as well. Yes, Sandy Del Rey. I was lucky enough to meet you two and your dad at HowdyCon Denver. He was a very sweet person. Oh, that's yes. amazing, Sandy. She even, her yes. icon is the HowdyCon badge. Oh, that's right. I yeah. have one of those. I have so many Yeah, um, that photos was, that was a that. memorable event. That was the first time I did the early draft of my TED Talk. Um, and there was a ton of people there. It was, it, was, it was good. It was fun. Thanks for being there, uh, Sandy. Denver Stevo, question, does Osa still smell like poo? Answer, yes. Great to see you both. Your stories and laughter always hey, make me smile. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Denver Stevo. We wish you a happy new year. 2024 is going to be a really good year. Yes. Anna Reynolds, uh, Care for JC YouTube, the audio in Mark's... The audio in Mark's voice is great, but when you get to the end, it does get very, very emotional for the listener. I blubbed. Yes. Oh, uh, she's talking about the audible book. version of the book. Yes. Yes, which which Mark recorded. Um, and yes, Metalhead at Claire. What would happen if they would have taken you from that bus stop? Would you get sec checked and be back on your post? Great question. I've often thought about that. It it's honestly despite all odds that they didn't succeed in getting me back. Thank goodness. Um, yes, I would have been sec checked. I was actually already in the hole at the time that I escaped. I unfortunately, sorry to the, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm sure the bars and security measures that came after I had escaped were handlings for the fact that I was able to get out of there. Um, I, I would have been under lock and key for a very, very long time. Um, I, anyway, yeah. So thank goodness that didn't happen. Yep. Yeah. 
Shelly, wait, you did a TED Talk? I will have to look that up. So I didn't do a TED Talk. I she did wrote it. one. <laughs> I auditioned for a TED Talk, and I was going to do a TED Talk, and then COVID happened. So uh, one of the very first Scientology Stories videos that I did, I think it's number four, I just did it as a YouTube video. I know it's kind of cheating, but, you know, I have a lot going on. So <laughs> it was kind it of an easy way to get out, get out there what I intended to get out there without doing maybe one day we'll see never make a note and put a link into it in the description of this video so if you want to look there'll be a link in the description claire's wannabe wannabe ted talk um (laughs) colonel brock says it's about growing up in scientology and yeah yeah. colonel brock says claire where's your son's portrait painting oh it's still behind me you just can't see it oh here we go here oh i see you got to do that there yeah there you go it's right there (laughs) Jefferson Hawkins in the house. Happy New Year, Jefferson. We used to call Danny Dunnigan Barney Fife after the Don Knotts character on the Andy Griffith (laughs) show. (laughs) Danny was such a, oh my God. Do you remember when he had that really nasty motorcycle accident and he had to hold his arm like this for like six months and he had screws coming out of it and this whole thing? The the amount of adventures Danny got involved in and always – he's in my book actually a bunch, Danny is, because he was like – He didn't appreciate your sense of humor like like I did. (laughs) His sense of humor lacked two things, sense and humor. Yes. Um, yes, but uh, Danny is in my book a lot. There were many interactions with uh, Danny over the years. Uh, okay, sorry. Hold on. I'm just going to note, note a comment real quick because I want you to talk about it. Okay. Uh, free Xenu Project of Farset comment. Mark, little did Universal Studios know that that bike was going to later become famous years later in history <laughs> yeah. for escaping a cult. Isn't that true? Good point. You know, somebody <laughs> told me that they – I've seen the – I don't remember if it's in a DVD or – there's some Fast and the Furious video that the bike is in. It's like a black and gray camo uh, Yakuza bike. It's a Japanese uh, gang bike in the movie. But um, I think it's at Universal. I think there's a Universal Studios Japan or something. I don't know. Somebody told me that it's still around somewhere or it's somebody has it. Yeah. So uh, who knows? You'll never never (laughs) know. Not that it was a very successful escape bike. I mean, yeah. come on now. <laughs> yeah. I did. Right. I I did get it fixed, and I did drive it all the yeah. time until I sold it. I mean, they used it in the movie. It was a working motorcycle when they yeah. had it. Yeah, Susan B. Mark has done a great interview. I guess you call it in Germany with Jason Begay. Yes, I spelled wrong. I think Chicago PD. Anyway, fantastic. Yes, I did do that. I'm I, I'm going to make a note to link to that as well. Perfect. Yeah, it was a it was a, a, a like a government symposium that was uh, that took place in Germany that was put on by Ursula Coberta from Hamburg and um, and we went and we spoke to um, delegations from uh, many European countries that had come there to to hear about Scientology we actually did it I did it on two different occasions I did once with Jason Begay of uh, Chicago PD and Chicago fire fame because um, uh, he used to be in Scientology and he we shot a ton of films with him at Golden Air Productions and um and then um his, and then, his interview that he did with Mark Bunker is 
pretty famous from the early days. Yeah, of and Mark Scientology, and we we should uh, we should get a Mark Bunker on. We should, we can talk. Yeah, about we this. already had talked about that. Yes, but Mark Bunker had shot this footage with Jason Begay, and he needed to edit it, and he needed an editing system, like a high end editing system that he could all load it into and edit it. And I actually owned and had one of those systems set up in my shop in Burbank. And so he came and edited that video at my company in Burbank that went yeah. on, ended up going on. And that video, I want to say it, it likely has over a million views by now um, that uh, Jason did at the time was sort of a bomb being dropped on Scientology because Jason was one of their poster boys in the celebrity community. Um, he didn't have his own TV show or anything at the time, but um, he eventually did get that after leaving Scientology. Scientology, he became even more successful mm -hmm. uh, in the uh, kind of TV uh, acting world. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was tons of fun. Um, yes. Somebody said, um, ooh, pink. Oh, um, that, that, wasn't... Was, that was some nonsense in the chat, which I think Catherine took care of. So oh, thank you, Catherine. <laughs> I tried to, this is the one I was trying to click. Oh, um, that okay, was for great. JC YouTube. That was a great lecture in Germany. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that was the one I was trying to hit. Um, yep. Oh, here, Dr. X. Dr. X, congrats, Mark, on your escape anniversary. Glad Serge had an awesome Christmas with his chosen family. What would stop people who had vehicle access at the imp base from escaping when going to events? Happy New Year to all. Oh, I have a great answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, we, well, most of the vehicles that we drove to the events belonged to Scientology, and we all knew that they would throw us throw us in for grand theft auto in a heartbeat if we tried that yeah but there, there wasn't were a lot some people that th there was one couple that drove to gilman hot springs left the or uh hemet jackson would know well actually this was after he had left but um but either way they parked it and left it in the lot in a in some random parking lot and then got on a train or a bus or something but yeah very few people owned personal vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, like, I would say under 30 out of yeah. almost a thousand people there. There were maybe 30 vehicles. And of those 30, maybe even half of those that were street legal, registered, operational. Like, yeah. sometimes your car, you wouldn't use your car so long. By the time you'd go to to get it and drive somewhere, all the tires would be flat because you hadn't moved it in six months or eight yeah. months or a yeah, year or I'll, whatever. Yeah, because nowhere to go. Would, yeah, security would take the keys the second you got in any trouble. So you'd yeah. not be allowed to drive. So, or if you were in a lower condition or had anything going on, you would not be allowed to drive. So it was rare that any staff members drove personal vehicles. And it became more and more rare as the as the years passed by, as it because it was you know, those few that did have vehicles, when they wanted to GTFO, as Mark says, they used said vehicle to yeah. try and do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, uh, Susan, Susan B. B. At Mark. Jason had a lot to say then. Great, great. I've watched everything I could find. My first introduction to SPTV. Nice. Yes. yes absolutely. What, Ingrid K., whatever happened to Jason? Jason told his whole story. He did a ton of videos. He did a, he went to Germany with me. He, 
he went to New York. He was he spoke at a bunch of anonymous events, and then um, he once he told his story, and there was nothing more to say. And then he ended up um, getting a hit TV show that he is the main character of, and um, yeah, he's been doing that ever since. And I'm pretty sure that keeps him as busy as uh, as anything could keep you. Yeah. But um, yeah, I actually I talked to him a few months ago. And um, I, I, I he watched the um, surge video. He sent me a message after he watched the surge video. And he said that he liked it. And, uh, and I was like, Yeah, come on. Oh, we'll talk about uh, some <laughs> of our adventures. But he, he hasn't come on. <laughs> busy, busy. Free Xenu Project of Farset comment. Hot tip. If you're going to blow in a Scientology vehicle, go to an old-time junkyard and pay them to get rid of them <laughs> like in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. That might not be the best uh, the best idea I've ever seen. You know, I wanted to um, – we had that comment from Dr. X. Um, we, do we, we have some pictures of the stuff um, that we got, right, when um, – when Serge came here, because didn't Doctor X send him a package too? Yes, Doctor yes, X sent. I don't a think package. I took pictures of it. Now that you're saying that, I know. But yes, we'll, we'll Serge see. Got but he a, Serge a, loved the gift everything. that you sent, Doctor yes, X. The hat. Um, we were taking stocking. a lot of pictures of yep. everything, but um, he was getting. He got a ton of stuff, Serge. A ton of people had sent stuff to us. Liz, Liz Ferris and. Um, Carrie sent uh, sent money, and we got him a whole ton of art supplies. And yeah. so we'll show the anyway. pictures. We'll yeah. show the pictures. But he yeah. got a he got a lot of stuff. And uh, I just wanted before I forgot, I wanted to say thank you, Doctor X, yes. because uh, yes, he really really appreciated. It. He was like, "Wow, this is for me." Yes. Wow, <laughs> he was very excited about the project. Yeah. Um, did we miss any other comments? Um, uh, if you can go through, I'll do these uh, banners, but we try to do these before uh, – on each time uh, we do a video before we end off. We try to uh, cover all the bases here. Um, we are selling a ton of merch in the uh, BFG merch store. Um, if you guys haven't seen, uh, we've got Xenu is my homeboy shirts and Hail Xenu shirts and mugs and mouse pads. And um, we also have in the SP shop – um, we have, um, fake Navy dolls, bobbleheads, uh, Mike Rinder bobbleheads and, um, SP bracelets. And you can go to the spshop.com and the spshop.com. Um, there's also, um, like aftermath. Is it aftermath? Um, there's shirts and t-shirts and stuff like that as well. Yes. Um, that you can get all, um, the proceeds from the spshop.com go to, uh, supporting the aftermath foundation. If you guys want to get a copy of my book, blown for good, where we talk about all of, um, the escape that we covered tonight, all of the excruciating details that led up to it. And then every little part of it, um, you can go to blownforgood.com or you can also go to the, um, merch store, the BFG merch store and link in the description. You can get it there as well. Did I forget anything else? Oh, and if you um, want to support the Aftermath Foundation, you can just go directly to the aftermathfoundation.org and uh, there's a donate button there. You can also sign up to be a volunteer if you don't want, if you don't have any uh, money to donate or you don't want to support financially. Um, we have people that volunteer for the Aftermath Foundation. If you just have a car, you can take somebody to the airport that's trying to escape or you've got a spare room somebody could stay in or whatever it is. Um, we are now, we've got a bunch of, we're going to do some 
at some point we'll do an update on this, but we have got a whole bunch of database stuff that we're putting together for the Aftermath Foundation so yes, that we can and, track. and newsletter and um, uh, with all kinds of amazing news of things now in place, including some of our um, collaboration with law enforcement efforts and um, a lot of good things happening on that front as well. And people helping people get out every single week. Yeah. So that's uh, very cool. And um, so, uh, yeah, that's what's happening with all that good stuff. And um, I think that's it. Is there, did you, is there anything else I, yep. I need to cover? I think that covers everything. I'm doing a final check for any last questions. Uh, yep. That covers it for today. Nice. Well, it was good to see you guys again. Um, tune in, like, subscribe. Um, if you are listening to this on our Blown for Good podcast, be sure to uh, give us a rate and a like on whatever podcast uh, app you're listening to. And if you guys, um, we're going to cover this on the live next week when we do the recap, but we are getting, we're in right now on the platform that we're on. The Blown for Good um, podcast was in the top 5% of uh, over 100,000 podcasts. And um, so we're going to show you guys where um, the most people are listening and the most people are signing up and what they're listening on and where and what the episodes are the most popular ones. We're going to do a whole recap of the uh, podcast probably next week. But um, if you want to get into those statistics, um, sign up for the podcast and you might make it into the uh, summary. We'll see. I don't know exactly how it adds all that stuff up. But um, but yeah, that's what we got. And um, yeah. And yeah, th- Shout out to Catherine Olson, our mod. Thank you, Catherine. We appreciate you being here. <laughs> Thanks, Catherine. Awesome, guys. Well, until next time. Bye. Bye.